0: We want to welcome all of you again this morning in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the head of this church. So we gather in his name to worship and adore him. And we're thankful that you have gathered with us to do that. If you have a cell phone, would you please check it now and make sure... That it's on mute. Let me say on behalf of those that are visiting, not only do we welcome you, but we have, uh, as you probably noticed, uh, a number... (laughs) of our mothers just got up and left. Mothers don't have to leave uh, just because they're mothers. You will see our mothers and some of our fathers occasionally get up and take little ones out that uh, need to be quieted down. We have our children here with us. That's a surprise to some, but we hope that it's something that in time you will begin to see appreciate and to even love. We delight to have our children growing up hearing the sermons of God's holy word, hearing the hymns of Zion and uh, growing up hearing uh, godly men uh, lead us in prayer and the reading of the word. We want to set especially in our day before our children the clarity with which God speaks of manhood, womanhood, and biblical families. So you will see uh, a parent occasionally take a little one out who needs to be quieted down. And uh, you are certainly welcome uh, to rejoin us. You will not trouble us if if they quiet down and you come back in. It happens with us just about weekly. So uh, we want you to be... Uh, very comfortable in our midst. (laughs) We also have a a nursing mother's room, and uh, you can ask any of the folk, I believe, in there where it is. It's very easy to find, and they will guide you to it. Uh, Both uh, the room right through that door is where you would take your little ones if you need to quiet them, and if you want the, the nursing mother's room Uh, Someone will point that out to you. Both of those places have screens so you can continue to follow the message. That being said, uh, please open your Bibles to Hebrews, the epistle to the Hebrews. Today... We begin to go into uh, some of the depths of this particular letter. Um, And there are many. There are many places of profound and very deep thought and things that we have to think through carefully in order to get to the blessed fruit that the Lord gives to us there. So... You may be thinking, I thought we did that with the Trinity and with Christology. And we did because the book is Trinitarian (laughs) and full of Christ. And we will be seeing, as we saw from last week, as we move through the letter, that the five things that I mentioned are important. They are uh, comparisons and contrasts that we need and that will help us, actually, as we start wrestling with some of the deeper things that are here. <clears throat> that began in the first four verses. And uh, that's the springboard to the rest of the letter. There will be a lot more for us to consider deeply. But I but I urge you, the deep dive is really worth it. This book is full of heavenly treasures for the soul. But sometimes, especially as they may be somewhat new to us, um, we have to take a little, a little time to dig in, meditate on them. By the way, when I say meditation, I do not mean the Eastern practice of meditation. I want to always be clear. Biblical meditation is taking a truth. In fact, it's number one, it's getting away from everybody else. Number two, It's getting along with the word of God and praying over what you're reading and then thinking about it until the truth that is there really begins to take hold of your heart. That is a biblical practice from the Old to the New Testament. And I urge you, uh, it's probably one of the hardest of the disciplines. If you have a mind like mine, uh, it's it's always in high gear and ready to run to something else. And uh, I have to slow down, pray, and get my mind in an attentive mood. And um, there's always something coming, a text, a call, an email, or something that I forgot. And so uh, <clears throat> I urge you, uh, take the journey with Hebrews. It's really worth it. Now, that being said, we're going to begin with verse 4 today, as we did last week. We're going to begin with verse 4, and we're going to read through verse 15. I'm sorry, 14. There is no 15. 14, Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. We will read through verse 14. Please stand with me. By the way, the reason we are reading for is as we, verse 4, last week we realized that verse 4 closes the first three verses and it opens us to the next verses that go to the end of the chapter. Some would actually even say it extends into chapter 2. So we begin with verse 4 to prepare our hearts for what follows it. Let's now give our attention to the word of God. Hebrews 1 verse 4. Being made so much better than the angels. As he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For under which of the angels said he at any time. Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. And again. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame, of fire. But unto the son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning... "...hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail." But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Amen. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us remain standing for our pastoral prayer this morning. Brethren, let's unite our hearts in Christ. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Who can say it like the angels? And the redeemed souls of thy people in heaven. Who can say it like them? But, O oh God, may we be aware, may we be aware of thy holiness, of thy presence in our midst. Truly, O oh Lord, thy word, this very epistle says, all things are open and naked before the eyes of him with who we have to do. Lord, thy holy stare from heaven penetrates into our hearts and minds and sees what is there. Our Father, how we praise thee for a Savior whose precious blood washes and cleanses the conscience oh bless thy name oh how we thank thee father I thank thee for thy people I thank thee for those gathered here I thank thee O Lord that thou hast given me a heart to love them to love thee I thank Thee that Thou hast given my beloved wife a heart to love these people. And I thank Thee for that great kindness. I thank Thee for that joy. I thank Thee for that responsibility. And Father, Thou hast commanded us all here to love Thee and to love one another. And Thou didst give Thyself as the model for that love. Help every one of us here to look into the mirror of Thy Word and say, O Lord, do I love like Thee. Please help me to love as Thou lovest me. O God, how I pray that Thy blessed Holy Spirit would move in our midst. I know, O Lord, that there are those here this morning who do not know Thee in a saving way. Oh, how I pray with all of my heart for them. Come by Thy Spirit and Word, open their hearts, draw them out of darkness into the glorious light of the Savior. Oh, do that, Lord. Do that. Do not let them leave this place without thee, without that title to heaven that comes by faith in the King. Oh, Lord, for those that know thee today, may this truly be a love feast that we love thee, we love thee, we hear thee, we obey thee, we love one another and encourage one another in the things of Christ. May there be great encouragement. May there be great edification. Lord, thy word says plainly, let us edify our brethren, our neighbors for their edification, for even Christ Even Christ did not satisfy himself. Even Christ denied himself for the well-being of sinners. Father, teach us how to walk like Jesus. Let that mind be in us. Examine us by thy word and spirit today. Turn our eyes upon thee. And help us to know thee. Help us to love thee more. Help this vessel of dust to speak thy words and thy truth to these people. Help me to preach in a way for which I can give account. Forgive me in my weaknesses, my failures. And my obvious limitations. O so God, I pray, take and use this thy blood-bought vessel to speak thy truth to those that thou hast loved and granted life eternal. Draw the sinner to thee this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. This sacred text declares that Jesus, the God man, is so much better than the angels. We have learned from God's spirit breathed word that the angels are spirit beings, that is, beings of a spiritual, immaterial substance. It's not like flesh and bone. We have also learned that the word angel is from a Greek word that means messenger. There are different kinds of angels, such as cherubims and seraphims. And they are glorious, mighty beings. Angels are innumerable. Engaged in earthly activities and engaged in the heavenly worship and adoration of God. And as God's ministers, they often appear in some of the most important moments of human history, biblical history. And last time, we learned that the author of Hebrews compares and contrasts. Five important things that help us to understand this sermonic letter. We are using the words compare and contrast. And by compare, we mean to point out similarities. Things that are alike. And contrast to point out difference. The author of Hebrews, guided by the Holy Spirit, uses... That comparison and contrast in an extraordinary, skilled, almost artistic way. He's constantly bringing our thoughts to a point where we must discern one thing from another. And he does it beautifully. So, the five things that we notice as we work through this letter are these. And there are others. Just didn't want to overload last week. We will encounter others as we go through the the letter. So first is exposition and exhortation. When you read this letter, you're actually reading something that sounds like, and most likely is, a sermon put into a letter form. And... Exposition then is the systematic interpretation or explanation of a biblical passage. We began in verse 1, we have worked down to verse 4. That is exposition, it is systematic and working through a particular text or chapter or book. Exhortation includes application. Exhorting means to urge strongly, and we have powerful, very powerful exhortations in this letter, in this sermonic letter. Now, number two, we learned that the author compares and contrasts the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. This is central to the book. For example, the Holy Spirit begins the letter by telling us in time past, God spoke by his prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken by his son, Christ Jesus. There's something similar there. God uses mouthpieces, prophets. The Lord Jesus Christ was certainly a prophet. But there's a contrast. Christ is The better, the final revelation of God. He's the very thing that the old covenant prophets were pointing to. And the covenant and the kingdom that he brought uh, far outshine the kingdom of Israel. Number three, heaven and earth or heavenly things and earthly things. Again, he constantly moves us back and forth between that which is earthly and how we should understand it, and then that which is heavenly and how it is superior. <clears throat> the author speaks of heavenly things such as Christ reigning in splendor, and then he speaks of earthly things which describe Christ suffering, bleeding, and dying. Fourthly, Christ's humiliation and exaltation. This is connected to number three. It's it's the same thing, in uh, set before us in a slightly different way. <clears throat> we look at Christ's humiliation here in this world, but we don't see him humiliated in the glories of heaven. We see his exaltation and as we see today he is the object of worship. The author points to the eternal son of God becoming man to accomplish the the salvation of his people. Then he leads us to the right hand of God where Christ is exalted in his sovereign reign. The beauty of his kingship. Lastly, number five, Christ's deity in humanity. Christ the Son, second person of the Holy Trinity, has always been and always will be God the Son, second person of the Holy Trinity. I repeat, he always has been, he always will be God, God the Son. there is no becoming with the eternal Son of God. But, in the eternal purpose of God, the eternal Son of God united in a virgin's womb with humanity, creator and creation coming together. He didn't, Lesson being God. He didn't decrease in being God. Always has been. Always will be. But it was part of his humanity. It was part of his humiliation. To become man. Fully God. Truly God. Truly man. Man. In one person. In this union. In this incarnation. He died. Upon Galvary's cross. God. Cannot die. That is why. He took humanity to himself. God. Cannot die. God. Did not die. But the God man. Could die. And did die. For the salvation of his people. That is the love of God. He saved his people from their sins. By humbling himself. By God. Being born of a woman. Him who is light, him who was always in the light, in the glories of eternity, went into the darkness of a virgin's womb. I cannot explain it. I proclaim it because the Bible does. So with that, we now begin to unfold the themes revealed in the first four verses, as I said on several occasions, <clears throat> those first four verses set the tone, set the themes that run all the way through the letter. <clears throat> and we will see that as we move through. And we begin with the comparison and contrast of Jesus and the angels following the contrast between Jesus and the prophets. <clears throat> so the title of this message is let the angels worship the son. Let the angels worship the son. That's what we've come to do today. I don't know how angelic we are, but I do pray that we came filled with his spirit and the desire to honor and exalt him so may our gracious heavenly father reveal the glory and the beauty of christ by the power of the holy spirit and may all of this provoke us not in a wicked way but provoke us move us deeply to greater and higher worship May we join the angels in his praise and adoration. Hope you think about that sometimes when we gather. We're not alone. We're simply participating in something far more glorious that we have yet to join personally. But the day is coming. Well, our first thought is simple. Jesus became so much better than the angels. He became so much better than the angels. Now, bear in mind, let me remind you again, his deity never changes. He is always God, the supreme being. But he humbled himself and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself. And became obedient unto death. The death of the cross. You have to let that sink in. You have to let that sink in. God. God. took upon him humanity. So that he could die. He took on humanity to do something that God cannot do. Yes, there are things that God cannot do. The book of Hebrews tells us God cannot lie. Oh, we can. But God never can. And God can never die. But the God man did to pay the penalty for his people's sins. What love is that? That is a love higher and broader and deeper then we can comprehend. But we want to lay hold of as much of it as we can. And that comes by knowing Jesus Christ. Not just knowing about him, but knowing him. So this Jesus became not in his deity, but he became much better than the angels as the God-man, the mediator between God and men. Now we've learned that verse 4 is a hinge verse it's a hinge between verses 1 through 3 it's actually part of the the what we call the exordium the the beginning of that sermon but it's also hinged to and uh, introduces us to brings us into verses 5 through 14 it brings up the issue of the angels, and we want to consider that. <clears throat> we see the comparison and the contrast between the Son and angels. And we are told by the power of the Holy Spirit and the human author that Jesus is better, so much better. The text says being made so much better. We saw last week that being made does not mean he was, he was, uh, that Jesus was created. His humanity was, but his eternity, his deity was not created, of course. So what it means is having become, having become. I gave the example of all of that last week. You may go back and. Uh, Refresh yourself there. But we must keep in mind that the first three verses of chapter 1 plainly speak of Jesus' deity and his humanity. And we must be able to distinguish between them. He is the God-man. There was a time in eternity when he was not the God-man. But in eternity, he's always been God, the son. I am purposely repeating this. It doesn't just go in and stay. Usually we have to think about it. These are things that are. So far above our heads before. Uh, uh, it is the deep end of the pool. So. To read. Read. Those verses, one through three, to read them well, we must constantly distinguish between his deity as the eternal Son and his humanity as Jesus the Christ. We're a group of heretics in the early church, they were called the Arians. The Arians. And they believed that the Son was not eternal because there were so many passages in the Bible that spoke about him being a man. And they denied the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, which means, of course, they didn't have Jesus. They had a false Jesus. They had a man, but and even a great, he was, he was considered um, by some later on to be the archangel Michael the first and greatest creation of God that may sound familiar to some of you that is precisely what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe today they come to your door you sit down you begin to talk with them they will say oh we believe in Jesus and the first thing you should say is which one and I don't mean that in a smart aleck way which one Who is your Jesus? Hebrews is telling us who our Jesus is. And that's in in chapters 1 and 2. And I'll repeat that later. In chapters 1 and 2, we're being told who he is. Who he is. The Jehovah's Witnesses have a creature. A created son. Because they take only The son. So they would say. Oh he's the first. He's the greatest creation. Many of them today. I know they used to teach us in the past. I don't know if they still do. I haven't read their literature lately. But uh, they, they believe that. It is the ark. They used to believe that it was the archangel Michael. So you would have the father. The archangel. And the Holy Spirit they saw simply as a force. Like a radar beam or a radio beam. So in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you would be talking about in the name of a creator, a creature, and a force. I'm not mocking them. I'm telling you this, this is what they hold. That's why knowing this Jesus and trusting him alone is salvation. Amen. You can't have just any old Jesus. And there are many, but only one of them saves It's this one. So. Having said that. As the eternal son of God. He never became better than the angels. He was always their creator and sustainer. Are you with me? He was always their creator and sustainer. They were creatures. He is creator. But as the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, he is the mediator that saves, the Savior, the Lord, the prophet, the priest, the king. He's glorious. We should have the highest views of him. Notice, he is the one mediator. That means a go-between. He is the one go-between between God and man. And he's perfectly suited to be that because he is God and man in one person. That's your Savior and it's because he could lay hold of god and he could lay hold of us that he's so glorious <clears throat> now in his state of humiliation that is his his earthly state his humanity only was a little lower than the angels. Now, the author under the power of the Holy Spirit tells us that. That's not a deduction. That's what he says. If you will turn to Hebrews chapter 2. In chapter 1, he primarily focuses on the deity of Christ, though he does point to the God-man aspect. And in chapter 2, He focuses on Jesus' humanity. In chapter 2, verse 5, it says, For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come. In other words, the angels are not going to rule that coming world. Whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet for in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that was not put under him. But now we see. Listen carefully. Now we see not yet all things under him. What is that talking about? We go back to Genesis. Man was made to have dominion over everything. But sin entered the picture. This we must lay hold of the author of Hebrews was quoting in that passage Psalm 8 and pointing out that God made man to have dominion. He was to be co-regent with God, ruling over all things, all creation. That's what we were made to do. That's constantly, unfortunately... Why we, con- we always want to have dominion over somebody. It's true. It's hijacked by sin. Why do people want to climb the highest mountain? Why do they want to get in an airplane and jump out a couple of miles up? Why do they, wa- they want to dominate? They want to conquer. We were made to rule with God. Boy, have we fallen. Look, look at the rule of our country can't, pass, can't seem to fast and pray enough we were made to have government, we were made to rule with God and that that psalm is telling us but, but something happened, we were made for all of this the author of Hebrews quotes that psalm, but the entrance of sin in Adam's fall is why we do not see all things in subjection to man. But then, thank the Lord, Hebrews 2.9 declares, but, and that little three-letter word sometimes introduced the best parts of the Bible. This is one of them. But we see Jesus. We look at man. God gave him everything to reign over. Mm. But in contrast, the comparison is men and Jesus was a man. But the contrast is we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, his humiliation, crowned. With glory and honor, his exaltation. Same verse. We see him crowned with glory and honor. That's talking about the kind of scene we're looking at in the first four verses of Hebrews. Jesus at the Father's right hand, crowned with glory and honor, ruling and reigning. This is what the author of Hebrews is pointing to. As a man, Jesus was a little lower than the angels. His humiliation, this was something that he did voluntarily. He was a little lower than the angels, but he became better than the angels by accomplishing the Father's eternal purpose. Of salvation as the man Christ Jesus. As the sinless man Christ Jesus. Never was a sin. Applied to him. He was accused of being a sinner. He was the spotless lamb of God. He was the sinless son of God. So. He became better than the angels. We might put it this way. Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. As a human man. To become higher than the angels. As the God man. Having accomplished everything that God the father gave him. He is sitting at the right hand of God. declares to the entire universe. He is. Seated in God's throne. Do we understand what that means? He is participating. And governing as the sovereign. Of the universe. Used to be an old hymn. I should have looked it up for us. But it begins. There is a man. A real man. In heaven. Mm -mm. There is a man. A real man. That's. Our Savior. And it's our King. He is our Lord. He is prophet, priest, king. For eternity. He's glorious. The eternal Son. United with humanity. In the virgin's womb. So that the glorified God man. Could sit in his father's throne ruling the universe in absolute sovereignty he's the sustainer of all things that means he's the one controlling providence Have you thought about that is your heart beating he's keeping it beating are you breathing he's sustaining you and he sits in glory We might put it this way. While he was a little lower than the angels on earth. He became higher than the angels at his enthronement. When he sat down at the father's right hand. There was a change. Everywhere in this universe. Because a God man. Man. Is at the helm. As Paul says to the Ephesians, Hebrews and Ephesians cast a lot of light on each other. As Paul says to the Ephesians, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling. And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe. Brother Frank, I did a wonderful message on this a couple of months ago. If I'm remembering that correctly, it was in the past. But it was good. Because he, he took this and, and made us aware that there is a power. There is power. The one thing that the men of this world want is power. They want power. They want authority. They want the rule over someone else. They want people to bow to them. But God's people have access to infinite power. Because this God loves his people. That's why you continue with him. You will continue with him, not because you're so wonderful. I think you're wonderful, one, right? But it's not because you're so wonderful. It is because God is wonderful, and in his power, he keeps you going, even at your lowest condition. Bunyan illustrates this beautifully in the interpreter's house there's the wall there's a fire and a man throwing water on the fire doing everything he can to put that fire out but the fire keeps burning and interpreter shows him that behind the wall there's a man pouring in oil so that the fire keeps going and that's exactly why you make it through a day or I make it through a day Our flesh still wants to run to the world. And it will constantly tell you. Oh, you know what you're looking at? Not so bad. It's those crazy preachers that put a bad spin on it. Right? It's far worse than you can possibly imagine. And if the Lord does not intervene, which I'm praying that he will we're going to see a lot worse than what we're looking at now. Even secular commentators are beginning to say, ah, things are getting bad, and they are. I'm not here to pour water on the fire. I want to tell you about the one who pours oil on the fire so that you keep going with him. So... We have mighty power. We have the living God. We have his spirit. We have his word. We have been made new creatures. And he gathers us together in his church. Where we should be mutually encouraging each other. To go on in the fight. Go on. Many, one of the problems. Many of us just not in any fight. We laid down with the world a long time ago. When you stand up for Christ. You don't have to look for trouble. It will find you. Get faithful and then get ready to stand. <clears throat> so he says it's this exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principalities and power and might and dominion. That's what we're looking at at the beginning of Hebrews. Far, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Oh, wait a minute. That's something that we often don't think much about. (coughs) And I'm hopeful that as we go through Hebrews, we begin to realize that's something we ought to be thinking about the world to come why because it's more real than this one this one's going to burn god's going to burn it up and the heat will dissolve it won't be a flood it will be a conflagration it will be incinerated all of man's little trinkets all of his statues You know, all of his medals, all of his stuff, all of this that said, I am something will be gone and we will be nothing before God except righteous or damned. The world to come. Well, it's here in the epistle to the Hebrews. And we want to think about that world. A little later on, we will consider it, but we'll move on for this moment. Paul simply closes by saying to those Ephesians, we can know all these wonderful things in Christ, not only in this world, but in that which is to come. It will be far greater. Well, how did the son obtain a more excellent name than the angels? I think most of us could probably guess that right now. But as the man, as the man, Christ Jesus, the son came into the world, died in cruel agony for the sins of his people, rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having by himself purged our sins He sat down in glory. It is there. And then that he obtained. The more excellent name. Now as the son of God. From eternity. He always had the highest name. It's talking about him. As the God man. The God man. It is there. That he, that he garners, that he is given this glorious name. And verses 5 through 14 are here to prove that. That's what it's going to unfold. In the next few weeks, we will look at how it unfolds. We begin that today. <clears throat> and it all begins with the little word for. F-O-R. For. Sometimes prepositions are some of the most important words. In the whole English language. <clears throat> Our second heading is. The son is truly God. And truly man. He is truly God. And truly man. Now you would. You might say to me. Uh, haven't we heard that several times. Before. In fact several times today. Yes. You have. Good listening. Thank you. <clears throat> now. The Holy Spirit continues to press us with the reality of Christ's incarnation. There's no salvation without Christ's incarnation. I'll say it again: there's no salvation without Christ's incarnation. Man sinned against God, and <clears throat> therefore, the penalty is death. Jesus came into this world to be our substitute our sin-bearing substitute. He came into this world to keep the law that we have not kept. He came into this world to die upon Calvary's cross, paying the penalty for the laws that we have not kept. He could do that because he was sinless. He was the perfect sacrifice. And he rose again the third day. Then he ascended into glory and sat down at the Father's right hand. The incarnation is central. It's one of the most important doctrines in all of Scripture. And it regularly comes under fire. Uh, Heresy, attack, doctrinal deviation. So, as I said earlier, chapters 1 and 2 of this letter go to great lengths to reveal to believers to feed our souls with who Christ is. Who Christ is. So the Holy Spirit says. For unto which of the angels. There's that, that word for. For. Unto which of the angels said he at any time. Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father. And he shall be to me a son. This is a vital use of the Old Testament scriptures. The first thing to remember is where we are when we read this. When we look in those first four verses of Hebrews, we are seeing the enthronement of Christ Jesus. We're seeing his enthronement sitting down on the right hand of the majesty on high. We've been invited to see something. The Lord doesn't always pull back the curtain and let us see things in heaven, does he? But he did in Genesis 1, did he not? When he pulled back the curtain and, and we get to see some of that glorious counsel where it was said, let us make man in our image and let them have dominion. And then that long list of the things we're to have dominion over. God pulled back the curtain, if you want to say it that way. so that we could hear some of those incredible purposes of God set before us. Imagine that God has invited us to that. We, We see something like that here. When Jesus had accomplished our salvation, when he did everything necessary to save us from our sins, God says, watch. He rose up. He ascended into glory. The the disciples were watching him go up. They were stunned. Where was he going? To the right hand of the Father. We get told where he went. And he sat down. We're told all about him in those seven beautiful assertions. And then we see him. We see him in his beauty at the Father's right hand. So we have to remember where we are. We're seeing what Christ uh, has, uh, what God the Father has poured out on his his son. If, If I can say it this way, it's like we've been invited to the celebration. Jesus accomplished and Jesus was given the full inheritance. And in that, he received a name. What was that name? Well, again, it begins with that word unto which of the angels said he at any time we have noted that the author of Hebrews moves from earth to heaven throughout the letter by God's grace and revelation we are in the throne room of God for the extraordinary enthronement of the Son. the second thing to consider is the challenge set before us there's a challenge here God says Four. that connects us to what was previously said in the first four verses. Four, under which of the angels said he at any time? The answer, in fact, the obvious answer is that God never told an angel at any time, you're my son, never, never, never. He never said to one of the angels, he's not putting the angels down. He's not speaking in a wicked way. But there's a challenge to us. He's saying, do you realize my son? Do you understand who my son is? No angel ever heard those words. Thou art my son from God the Father. Because no angel was ever deity. And never will be. No angel was ever sent. On the mission that Jesus accomplished. No angel was united with manhood. In a virgin's womb. No angel gave his life's blood. To purge the sins of God's people. No angel ever rose from the dead. No angel ascended to the throne room. Of God the father. And sat down on his right hand. Never happened. And the eternal son of God. Had to become man. Man. To experience and accomplish his risen glory. Incarnation central. Now, it is essential to the author's argument that we recognize the father's proclamation of the family word son. He could have said, all right, this is the Lord. Uh, This is the Savior. This is the mediator. There's so many titles and names that could have been given to the Lord Jesus. Why did the Holy Spirit pick this one? Because of the family image. Father and son. Father and son. If the father is God, the son is God. That's why the angels hated Jesus. When he would talk about his father. They wanted to stone him to death. Because he said God was his father. They understood the implications. I pray that we do. When God speaks of his only begotten son, he is speaking of the most unique person in the universe. Truly God, truly man. Notice the connection carefully. As he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For. That little word. It's big. For unto which of the angels said he at any time thou art my son. No angel can shout out from the regions of glory. I heard it. It was said of me. It'll never happen. Because there's only one. Christ Jesus the risen Lord. Christ Jesus, the seated Lord. Christ Jesus, the Son. The context is telling you what the more excellent name is. Angel's important, but Son eclipses it by eternity. Thou art my Son. That comes directly from Psalm 2. Verse 7, the Jews held that psalm to be a messianic psalm, and they were right about that. It clearly is. This day have I begotten thee. These seem to be words of celebration. Jesus fully completed the Father's mission of redemption, and now as the glorified God-man, he sits at the right hand of his Father to rule the universe from the throne room of God. There's no higher place. There's no more important place. There's no greater authority. If we say the buck stops here, the buck of the universe stops right there at that throne. No one higher anywhere. No one greater, no one more glorious, no one more beautiful in who and what he is, no one more no one more incomprehensible in what he is. The God-man. And then we hear another astounding proclamation from the Father. And again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Who did he ever say that to? Did he ever say that to an angel? No. But where does that come from? That comes from the Davidic covenant. The promise that God made to King David. Oh, very, very, very important again. God graciously promised, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels. He's going to be a descendant, your descendant. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for in my name. What did Jesus say in Matthew? I will build my house church that's the building that's the temple of the Davidic son and we're part of it we're here it's because the son was not one of the sinful fleshly kings who fell into sin time and time and time again It's Jesus who is the son, the son that did the father's will. I will set up thy seed after thee. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. This was partially fulfilled in Solomon who built the temple. He built that glorious and beautiful temple and then turned into an idolater. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men. That's exactly what he did to the, un, uh, the disobedient kings. That is exactly what he did. And I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. This is the throne that Christ sat down on. He is the son of David on one hand, and yet the son of God in the truest sense of deity. And united with humanity. He did exactly what the father said. He was the faithful king. He was the one who's built the temple of God. Oh, it's hard to stop. But we need to. Let me just say. <clears throat> the, we'll take up with this next verse. Next week, God willing. But And we'll close with this is that. When he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. It doesn't say let all the angels of God respect him. Let all the angels of God speak highly of him. It says, may they all worship him. That's exactly what each one of us ought to be doing. Everyone that names the name of Christ ought to be worshiping him with all their hearts. Because he's worthy. He's worthy. He is the God man who accomplished our salvation. Everything infinitely necessary to save us from our sins. He did this. And I will close with just one application. One application. The believer's advocate in heaven. Rules as king forever. On behalf of his people. As the great high priest. Remember Zechariah says he will be a priest upon his throne. He will be a kingly priest, a priestly king. And that's just exactly what we are saying. He accomplished the purging of our sins and then sat down at the father's right hand. The Holy Spirit emphasizes the work of Christ here in a way that must Arrest our attention. There was no Redeemer. There is no other Savior. There is no other Redeemer. And no other Savior. There is no other hope for sinners. Than the Son. Jesus the Son. Said I am the way. The truth and the life. No man comes unto the Father. But by me. This one. This one Son is the hope for sinners. He's better than the angels. By himself he purged our sins. And this point this points us to the fact that Jesus accomplished the entire work of salvation without the aid of human or angelic devices. By himself he saved us. Always and only Jesus Christ perfectly accomplished everything infinitely to save his people from their sins for those of you that do not know him oh i plead with you consider the god man his call his call is clear it's clear come unto me All ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. How can he? Because he's the only son that has accomplished everything that we need for the salvation of our souls. He alone kept the law in our place. He alone Died on the cross. He alone was raised again. He alone ascended into glory. And he alone sat down at the right hand of the Father. Ruling. Reigning. Interceding for sinners. Calling them to himself. And he saves those that come. Every one of them that comes. Come. 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 He's worthy. Well, this is not only a glorious portrait of the Lord Jesus as the mediator, but a clear presentation of the incarnation. The Christian faith is founded directly upon the fact that God became man. And in this passage, the Holy Spirit plainly emphasizes that Christ, the prophet and the heir of all things is also the living God. Glorious, glorious, glorious. The one who purged our sins is both creator and sustainer of all things. These revelations are carried over into the verses that run to the end of the chapter. We're constantly having the beauty of Christ and who he is as the God-man, exalting him in his Godhood. Chapter 2, exalting him in his humanity. This is our God, as Isaiah prophesied. And it shall be said in that day, this is our God. We've waited for him. And he's come. So those of you that know him, oh, praise him. Love him. Commune with him. Walk with him by faith. Magnify him. Love him with your mind. Love him with your heart. Love him with your tongue. Love him with your hands and your feet, with everything. Walk with him. And those of you that don't, oh, I plead with you as we close. Come to Christ. He's much better than the angels. Amen. Amen. Oh, my Father and my God, how great and glorious and pure thou art. Oh, we love thee. We magnify thee and we thank thee that you've given us a book and we come to this book to plunder the beauty of thy son. Let us see more of him. Lord, help me. I I, I cannot explain these great truths to thy people, but help everyone who hears thy words Believe them. And now, O God, I pray that for the rest of this day, thy people will rejoice in thee, fellowship with thee, fellowship with one another, encourage and build each other up in the faith. O may the love of Christ move through this place like a a raging fire. And Lord, if it pleases thee to let us gather again May we know thy blessings in our midst. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Please stand with me. Now the God of peace. That brought again from the dead. Our Lord Jesus that great shepherd of the sheep. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will. Working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. May we go in his blessed name.